You may be seated. Uh, as always, I recommend you version if you want to have notes right in front of you. Otherwise, many of you have a journal that uh, we've uh, made them available. I'd imagine they're probably all sold out by now, but uh, you can ask at the front desk if there's any left or not. imagine they're probably all got gobbled up this morning. And uh, if you're journaling, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to more teach than preach uh, to, to those who are going to take some notes this morning. We uh, reordered the books for you last week, and I told you the word epistle just means letter. And so when you see in the heading of any book of the Bible, the epistle of St. Peter or the epistle of uh, John, it's just letter is what it means. Epistle is a letter. We're studying the Johannine epistles, the letters of John. That's 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John in your Bible. And last week I told you that really you need to put 3rd John first because it's a letter of introduction, a uh, letter of recommendation. It's a door-opening letter. Please receive this man and, uh, uh, named Demetrius. And 2nd John goes next. Because Second John is really the cover letter to First John. And by cover letter, I mean when First John goes to the first church it's going to go to, the letter on top, Second John, is a letter just for that church. You'll see that because that's what we're going to study in just a moment. And that church is then going to take the cover letter off, read the message of First John, make some copies, and start circulating the copies of First John to all the Johannine churches in the Johannan community, uh, that's Asia Minor, Turkey, and then they're going to start going to Greece, to Europe further, and all around the world, and obviously they did, because you have a copy of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John even in your hands this morning. Obviously, when you read 1st John, it does not read like a personal letter. We'll open 1st John in a few moments, and you'll see it doesn't start with, uh, dear friends, this is John, how you doing? doesn't begin that way. It just jumps right into the message, which is why it needed a cover letter. First John is actually a beautifully written, sometimes firmly written, but very lovingly written, poetic uh, sermon filled, filled with beauty. It's, it really doesn't read like a letter, even though it is, and that's because Second John is sitting on top as the cover letter to the first church that this went to. You will see right now as we open Second John, it's only one chapter, verse number one, Second John verse number one, you will see that this reads like a letter. The elder to the elect lady and her children. Here's now some formal letter flowing type of material. The elder, next to the word elder in your journal, write the apostle John. So, this is John writing to you, uh, the apostle uh, of Jesus Christ, a disciple of Christ, an eyewitness of Christ, John the son of Zebedee, uh, John, of P, uh, John and James, uh, my brother. We were the original, I mean the original followers of Jesus Christ. Now, for John to be writing this in the 90s, John would die around 100 A.D. after he wrote the book of Revelation. We can only make logical assumptions that back when John was walking with Jesus Christ as his disciple, he's just a teenage boy. I want to let that sink in for you just a moment. John was a young, had a relationship with Jesus, 
like one of our teenagers in this church might have with Pastor David, our youth director. That was that, that kinship, that familiarity, that love for each other, that can I hang out with you type attitude, that I want to spend time with you, brotherly love. And John would refer to himself in the gospel of John that he wrote, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that book of John that he wrote, the biography of Jesus that John wrote, he keeps referring to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loves. Not meaning that he didn't love all the disciples, but he meant Jesus and I were best friends, really. We just, we had this really kinship, just the closest friendship ever. So, the elder, that's John, to the elect lady, I told you this last week, the elect lady, right there in your journal, write a sister church, a Johannan community church, a sister church. It would be like if we from Cornerstone, you said, Pastor, write a letter to our sister church in India or Nepal or Burma, and we would write a letter from our church by my hand to their church. It's a very similar thing happening right there, to the sister church, to the elect lady Then he says, and her children. Next to and her children, if you'll just write in your journal, the members of the church. The members of the church fellowship. Now, having said that twice to you, you get it now. When you read that, you understand what's happening. John, the apostle, to another church from this church, but we're writing to that church and the church members, to her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but all who know the truth. Now, truth is is one of these circular themes that keeps showing up in all of these writings of John. Uh, John's going to talk about when he records even the words of Jesus, you're going to know the truth. Yeah, it is going to set you free. It's going to make you free. And he keeps talking about the truth. And John is a big advocate in these letters for the truth because what's going on in these letters, remember, some group have pulled apart and they're falsely teaching now about Jesus. They're twisting the truth. So John's going to say, stay stuck to the truth. Listen, one of the things that binds us together as a church family is what we believe. Let's call that truth about who Jesus is. We gather here and we've united as a church family. We've pledged our lives and our fortunes together as followers of Christ in this place called Cornerstone because we believe the same things about Jesus. We believe he was a man, but he was more than a man. We believe he was the son of God. We believe he lived, but more than that, we believe he died. But more than that, we believe he rose again. And because we hold certain truths together in this body, it binds us together in fellowship. He's saying, stick with that. Stick to that. And I just want to challenge you. This really isn't my notes. I want to just challenge you to let truth be more important to you than your feelings. In other words, I, I grew up in church, so I just write a book about this. People leave the church when their feelings get hurt, not over truth issues. It's over some petty thing. Don't let the petty thing, which is minor in the big scheme of your life, be as a big deal to you as sticking together for the truth's sake. And he said, I love you in the truth. And listen, this is really the heart of any pastor or disciple maker, as I said last week. We are very protective over our cubs, if it's a bear metaphor, but sheep, if it's a shepherd metaphor. We're very, we're very protective over those we love, just as you would be over your own biological children. 
because you've poured your life into them. You've poured your love into them. They mean everything to you. They are dear to us. And that language that I'm expressing right now is what you'll hear the apostles say. Dear, beloved, very much loved. I love you so much. Let's stick together in the truth. Look at verse 2. Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us for how long? Yeah, because what binds us together is the truth about Jesus Christ. That isn't going away. It's not going away. The Bible says heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. And we'll equate Jesus to the living word in just a minute. Look at verse 3. Grace, mercy. Now this is a letter. You understand? He's saying, hello, how are you? This is a formal introduction. Grace, mercy, and peace. Underline these words. Will be with us. From God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son. And then underline these words. In truth. And love. Now, the reason I want you to note these words, uh, John's greeting is different than Paul's. When Paul writes his epistles, Paul will normally say something like, uh, uh, Grace and peace be with you. This is the Apostle Paul. May grace and peace, uh, if you go read Galatians 1 3, grace and peace be with you. That's Paul's normal greeting in his letters. When, when John writes, John's transformed the greeting into a message of Christian encouragement where Paul would say a little more passively, listen, blessings or grace and peace be be with you. John has strengthened the language and made it an emphatic statement. Look at it again. God's grace and mercy and peace will be with you. Now, this is just me. I'm sure it's not you. But some days when I'm discouraged, I wake up and start my day feeling a little blue and think, I don't know if God really loves me that much today. I feel a little bluesy sometimes and get a little emotional sometimes. And I I doubt sometimes God's goodness towards me. Because I know what a rascal I am. Now the truth is, God's love is not based on what a rascal I am. It's based on His goodness, not my goodness. And that's what John is trying to articulate here. So if you think, well, maybe his grace is going to be with me, favor, that's what it means. Maybe his mercy is going to be with me. Maybe I'm going to have God's peace in my heart today. John's saying it just an opposite way. John's saying, put that thinking out of your mind. If you abide in the truth and you're pursuing Christ, God's peace and mercy and grace will be with you. And I promise it will be with you. Notice the recurring themes. Right at the end there of verse number 3. Do you see truth and love sitting like twins at the end of that sentence? There they are. And the truth and love. The truth about what we believe about Jesus Christ is something that binds us together. And that other thing sitting there that binds us together is a love. And those two themes will keep showing up. It's not really an outline kind of book. It's really kind of a, a book that loops back onto itself over and over again. And he keeps saying it so many times... After five chapters of 1 John, he will have said it so many times in a loop that it begins to sink into our heads and our hearts about truth and about love that he's trying to to express. Verse 4 is where I first scratched my head. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in truth just as we were commanded by the Father. Here's what I want you to underline. I I rejoice greatly to find some. Either circle that, put a star by it, or underline it. I rejoice greatly to find some of you. Now, who's he writing to? Remind me. 
a sister church and her members. Because the members are the church, by the way. And if you're a member of Cornerstone, you are the church, not this house, you, we, the body, the people. So when John's writing to the sister church, here's what he says. Now, for a loving guy, he can sure poke a little jab once in a while. And it's so subtle, but when I'm reading this, I rejoice that some of your children are walking in the truth. I'll be honest with you, some gives me pause this morning. Because some implies not, not all. That's right. It's exactly what it implies. And you'll see, see more in just a moment. I rejoice that some of you are walking in truth. And now he's a loving guy. I mean, this is the language that's coming in First John is some of the most loving, beautiful, poetic language you've ever heard. But for a guy who can be loving, he also doesn't mind just saying it like it needs to be said. It would be the equivalent of your loving pastor coming to you and saying, I rejoice that some of you here at Cornerstone are highly committed to making disciples. You know what that implies? That not all of you are. I rejoice that some of you are highly consistent in giving a portion of your wealth to the expansion of the kingdom of God. That implies not everyone is on board. Carrying the load sacrificially with your brothers and sisters. You're making a few carry the load. It would be the equivalent for me to come to you and say, I rejoice to know that some of you are pursuing Jesus with all your heart. Which implies that when they had pulled the congregation together in Turkey and read this letter to them, that they had the same reaction that you're having right now. Ouch. <laughs> John, I thought this was about love and truth. Now all of a sudden you got personal, just one verse later. With a simple word, some. Now, if you don't take anything else away from this sermon this morning, I want you to take this away. That God has forged us together into a fellowship called the body of Christ. And it should never be some, it should be all. All for one and one for all. It should be we take care of each other. And I've watched how you've done that. We've had members here who've been unemployed for months. And I've watched you take food to them. I've watched you pay their rent. I've watched you... uh, Listen, we had had a church member... Gosh, help me. Was she 49 or 50? 50 years old. Teaches every Wednesday night here. Found her dead in her apartment last week. We did her funeral uh, Tuesday night here, memorial service. It's probably the largest memorial service I've ever done in America. There was standing room only in this room. We brought chairs in twice. There was a line out that door to get into the auditorium at 6.15. All of North Richland Hills was in this room. It felt like Tuesday night. And listen, I watched members serving. Uh, Fred and Sue were up here cooking, preparing a meal for the family. And the, 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 the family mobilized. Now, listen, if you say, well, I wasn't in on that exactly. Some did, though. Some did. And we got it covered, and it was good, it was beautiful, it's fantastic, we ministered to the family. But here's what a message I want to send to you. When it comes to doing ministry, when it comes to being the body of Christ, when it comes to working as a team, God, has call, God is calling everyone in this room, not some. It's not the staff that are called. We have a different calling, that's true. But before we were staff, we were, we were part. 
And I just want to challenge you, and I'm never going to stop challenging you because this really rubs me. I've been in ministry all, it just feels like all my life, not really, but almost 30 years. My dad was a pastor. I know church. And I grew up around Christians, and all I heard all my life was, well, not everybody ties. Well, not everybody shares the gospel. Well, not everybody will volunteer in the nursery. Well, you can't expect everyone to volunteer to serve. Why? I just want to have a fit right here. Why? We are all the body of Christ. The expectation should be that we all serve the body of Christ. It should be that we are all going to do everything we can do. Otherwise, I'm, I'm really challenged by a verse like this. Because I can see all the way back in the first century where John is challenging them the same. And he's doing it with a very subtle word. I see that some of you are doing good. <laughs> and he just left it hanging there. And they knew how to fill in the blanks, trust me. I didn't come to scold you this morning or go on a tirade, but I did come to put a little pressure on you to say, if you're going to be a part of the body, then by golly, be a part of the body. And love your, love your fellow brother and sister. Care for one another like family. Work together for the cause of Christ. And I'll add what John adds, really. I long. I long for you all to be walking in the truth. I'm going to say it in a modern way. As your pastor, I long for there to be 100% participation in the mission of Christ. I long for that. I crave that. And I actually think it's possible. I actually think it's possible to have a church where the majority are all in, not the minority. I really believe that. Now, let's look at verse number 5. Now, I ask you, dear lady. Who's dear lady? It's a church, so just be... be. I'm asking you, church family... Not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one we've had from the beginning that we love one another. Might want to underline that. I'm coming back to it. And this is love that we walk, circle that word, according to his commandments. And this is the commandment, just as you've heard from the beginning. So you should circle it, walk in it. Now, let me explain these two verses very quickly because they become like a bit of a thesis statement for what we're about to read in 1 John. He says in verse number, number five, uh, I'm asking, not a new commandment. I'm not trying to teach some strange new thing to you, but I'm saying to you, let's go back to the commandment we had from the beginning. What was the commandment we had from the beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ? What was Jesus' message? What, what did Jesus keep saying? What did he keep preaching? What did he keep talking about? What did he keep modeling? That we love one another. His message was love. It was not blow up your neighbor. It was not force something at the point of a sword. It was not re- rebellion. It was not retaliation. Christ's message from the very beginning, even when they pressed him, they said, what, are, what, what, are the, what is the great commandment? What, what is the big takeaway from from the law. He said, how about this? Love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Listen, what's undeniable is the message of Jesus had something to do and everything to do with one word, and that is love. God loved the world and sent me. My whole life is a demonstration of love, Jesus is saying. And I'm going to model love. I'm not going to model love for what the world models love for. The world models love towards those who are popular and those who are famous and and in order to get power. I'm going to show love to the lepers. 
and the poor and the Gentile, just all these strange groups of people, the common people, the outcasts, the marginalized in society, the tax collectors, yeah, the, the, those kind of people. I'm just going to show love to all of them. I'm going to go to John's gospel now. John in his gospel, chapter 15, verse 12, quotes the words of Jesus. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now that little qualifier on the end is very important to us, because I think you do love one another, and I love you. And where I struggle is with the last part of the statement, as Christ loves me, because Christ loves me unconditionally. (laughs) Christ loves me immeasurably. And I'm to love you in the same way. Not to love you just when you're lovable. To love you when you're unlovable. You're to love me when I'm unlovable. He said, this is my commitment. Love one another as I have loved you. Now, between verses 4, 5, and 6, you've probably got underlined now, walking in truth, that we walk according, that you should walk in it. Do you see that? Three times in three verses... John uses this uh, metaphor addressing our walk. Let me come back to walk now. Uh, I mentioned this last week, but walk is an is a ethical metaphor that speaks about the way we live our lives. It's an met- uh, ethical metaphor for behavior or conduct, how you live out your life or how you carry yourself. John says that Christians, he's writing to the elect lady and her children, that Christians who are forged together in a church are supposed to remember the great commandment is love. And I want you to remember the commandment from the beginning was love one another. And so I'm going to talk about walk, walk, and walk to remind you that our ethical behavior, the way we carry ourselves in this society is bound by love. Love controls how we walk. We're to walk in love. So the ethic we live by is an ethic of love. As a matter of fact, Jesus taught us that the supreme ethic was love. So the supreme ethic that governs my life and your life as members of the body of Christ, the supreme ethic that guides us is love, Christ's love. Now, John's not the only one that picked up on this. The Apostle Paul, who wrote about half of the New Testament... The Apostle Paul also picked up on this. Uh, The famous love chapter in the Pauline epistles is 1 Corinthians 13. If you're journaling, write 1 Corinthians 13 in the margin right here beside these verses. It's a great cross-reference. The whole chapter is on love. Now, if you're using an older KJV, uh, and I'm not sure how NKJV treats that, but if you're using an older version of the Bible, it'll use the word charity, but charity means love. That's all it means. It's a demonstrable, giving love. And uh, all the new modern versions of the Bible use the word love because it's more the way we use the word right now. But when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 13, he ends that whole discourse on love and he says, uh, now abides these three. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is Say it out loud. What is it? And here's why love is the greatest. Why it's the supreme ethic. Because it's never going away. 
The love you're living in right now, the love of God you're living in and you're walking in right now is never going to end for you. That mercy and grace and peace that John's talking about will be with you forever is because of love. Now, faith and hope are going away. They're temporary things. In other words, right now, by faith, we believe on Jesus Christ. By faith, we believe there's a heaven. By faith, we believe in the resurrection of the dead, although we've never experienced it nor seen it. But one day, we will both experience it and see it. And when we see it, faith is no more. Faith has ended in sight. Does that make sense? Right now, you and I are hoping for a better world. We're hoping for the desert to blossom again. We're hoping for the curse to be lifted. We're hoping to be restored, ruling and reigning with Christ. We're hoping for a better life and a new beginning and a redo and a new body and health and vitality and to serve God. We're hoping, but one day it'll be reality. And when it's reality, you don't have to hope for it anymore. Does that make sense? I hope to go to Disney World, but once I go, I don't have to hope. I'm there. I'm standing on Main Street, you know? So hope and faith are going away. But love will remain eternally. Now you're about to see the disciple maker protecting his cubs. Watch this. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Underline the word many because many he's contrasting with the word some just a few verses ago. For many deceivers are gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus in the flesh that he was a man. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose that which we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Does anybody want to know what that implies? That you could lose some of your reward. Does that make sense? In other words, if you started walking with Christ when you were young and you got bored with it by the time you started having kids and fell away and you said, I'm not really sure I even need that in my life, and you begin to move away from God, it implies that if you move away from the truth, you begin to lose that for which you've, I mean, there might be some implication there. We we want to think about that. Uh, But definitely the people in the verse are moving away from the truth. That's very clear. Verse 9, everyone who goes on ahead, now that doesn't mean goes on ahead to heaven. He's talking about moving away from the truth. Everyone who migrates on away from the truth is what he's talking about and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, underline these words, do not receive him do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works let me explain this section very quickly john's writing now to the church and he's saying i rejoice that some of you are walking in the truth some of you you're doing really good for many deceivers he's contrasting few with many many false voices are in this world there are many false teachers in this world trying to get your attention there are many voices out there pulling at you listen when we first lead someone to christ and we start with that person going through exchange 
uh, or the beginning elements of discipleship. As we begin to disciple a new believer, one of the admonitions we'll say to the new believer is, listen, for a little while here, stay off the internet. It doesn't mean don't check your mail. It means don't Google spiritual things, religious teachings from the internet. Just for a while until we get some foundation laid for you. Because if you go right to the internet and start Googling, you're going to be way out in left field somewhere and you're going to get confused and misled. You say, well, why, Pastor? Because there are many false teachers have gone out into the world. And until you've got enough maturity to discern what is correct and what is not correct, then you need to lay a strong foundation so that now that you're familiar with the voice of the truth and the leading of the Holy Spirit, and you get familiar with the Holy Spirit guiding you, now there comes a time when you hear a lie, you'll know it as a lie instantly. You'll know this doesn't line up with the Bible instantly. And and then you're in a better place to be able to discern all of the voices that are out there. Now, verse 10, he says, If anyone comes and doesn't bring the teaching, do not receive him into your house. Now, remember last week I told you that missions, uh, mission, mission work or missionaries or expanding the kingdom of God looked very different in the first century. We didn't put people up at the Holiday Inn or, or, or the courtyard by Marriott. They were housed in people's homes. And there were no such thing as church buildings like this in the first century. They met in people's homes. That's correct. And so when John's writing to the elect lady and her children, this is probably being read in someone's living room to that church assembly that's there. And you have to keep the context clear in your head. And so he says to the church, meeting in someone's home with a bunch of families there who have their own homes, he says, if a false teacher comes to your community and says, well, yeah, I, I too am a follower of Christ, but I just teach he was a good man, not really the son of God. Or he didn't really die, or he didn't really rise again. Or if they, start, if they have a different truth that are, they're putting forth, do not receive them into your house. Because by doing so, you've become a partner with them. You've condoned their message. You've condoned their lifestyle. You've condoned who, who they are. Now, uh, this is very specifically written to Christians pro- promoting and, and supporting false teaching. Now, I'm not saying if there was a lost person, you shouldn't help them or, or, or give them food or, eat, or help them find a place to say. I'm not saying that. This is written specifically about false teachers that you're not supposed to help. Now, again, I don't want to go on a tirade because if I use specific names, uh, it, it'd just be all over the Internet by the end of the day. But there's a lot of false teachers on TV today. A lot of them are based right here in Texas. And you put a microphone in front of their face and turn the TV camera on and you said, tell us how to get to heaven. They couldn't articulate a clear presentation of the gospel. They couldn't tell you if God really exists. They couldn't tell you if there's a, 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 a <laughs> you know what I'm saying, a literal resurrection or not. They couldn't tell you that Jesus is the way of salvation why in the world these people have millions of dollars of airtime and airplanes and live in million-dollar mansions is because God's people give them money. And if God's people would just stop it, it would be over. You attend a church where you get the truth. We take you food when you're hurting and we minister to your needs and the church struggles to pay its bills. 
and they're flying in million-dollar jets. You understand why pastors could get a little upset? And, and John is saying, listen, you have the truth. You're bound together by the truth. Stick to the truth. And I don't even know if John could have envisioned false teachers living in millions of dollars worth of mansions and, and flying in private. I don't even know if he could have envisioned this or not. But in the early days, it had already started. And he's telling the people, do not support that. Do not stop it. And, 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 and listen, do it the right way. Now, the right way, obviously, is a guy's just delivered this letter to the church, and John wants them to take care of that guy. Does that make sense? Demetrius is standing there, reading the letter to him. This is from John. <clears throat> and as he's reading it, what's implied is, support the guys who are leading people to Christ and expanding the kingdom of God. And uh, many of them are strangers to you. That's why you got a letter of introduction, 3 John. At Cornerstone, many of our missionaries, because we don't do it the old way here. We do a very, well, actually, we do it the old way. <laughs> we don't do it the broken way. Where the missionaries come and you get to meet them all and they drone on forever, okay? Most of the people we support as missionaries you've never met. But some of you have met them. And I'll tell you what, I've slept in their beds. I've ate from their table. I've lived with them. And even though they're strangers to you, they are crushing it for Jesus Christ. And if you want to know what's going on in missions and you ever feel like you're out of touch with our missions... You grab any one of your deacons in this church and pull them aside for 30 seconds and say, Hey, Brother Al, hey, Brother Damon, can you just give me a missions update? They'll open their Facebook account. They're on private links with our missionaries because there's a lot of things we can't publish because it gets them killed, okay? But they've got it, and they'll share it with you, and they'll show you the gospel is going crazy, okay? Uh, All right, so verse number 12. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Okay, let's put that in a modern context. I have a lot to say to you, but I will not use Facebook. I will not use, yeah, yeah, you get it. He's like, that's, it's a form of communication. I'm not going to text you, you know, uh, emoji, emoji, emoji. I'm not going to text you, but I have more to say, but I'd really like to say it face to face. Now, I don't want to get, again, on a soapbox. I love technology, and we use it like crazy around here. Matter of fact, how we talk to our disciples on the other side of the world, every day we want to talk to them, boom, we're just right there face-to-face on electronic medium. I just want to say this to the church family. Face-to-face is better than any other way. I don't want to kiss my wife through the telephone. I'd rather put my lips on hers. I'd rather put my hand in Alan's, and I, I don't want to see you eating at your house and me eating at my house. Hey, I'm having that. It's not the same. It's not the same as us being face to face. Now, watch what John says. I've got a lot to say, but I really want to say it face to face. Why? Why face to face, church? Why face to face? So that our joy may be complete. Because this doesn't always bring me joy, OMG, OMG, heart, 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 heart. But this generates joy. Now, I want to recommend an experiment. My time's going to be done, about five minutes now. I want to recommend an experiment. Got a lot more to say. We'll just see if we get to it or not, okay? I want to recommend an experiment for any Christian hearing my voice who feels like sometimes you lose your joy. 
Here's my experiment. You ready? You need to take notes right here. Plan a menu. Step one. Find some good music and make a playlist. Step two. Find some fun games and make them available. Step three. Prepare a guest list. Step four. Send out your invitations. Step five. Now open your home to some of your brothers and sisters from your church and let the fun begin. Let your heart be filled with laughter. Let your heart and your home. You know, our homes are too private and too quiet right now. Let your home be filled with laughter. Let your neighbors call the police and say, they need to keep it down next door. They're having too much fun. And when the police arrive, say, we're just a bunch of Christians just playing some games and come on in. We've got food for you too, okay? Listen, uh, when's the last time somebody called the police on you because you were having too big a party at your house? For Jesus. For Jesus. Okay? Some of you were like, yeah, there's that one time. Yeah, okay. All right. So what I'm saying to you. Now, your normal human reaction is to do the opposite of what I'm saying. When you guys get discouraged and depressed, you withdraw from people. You say, I need some alone time. I just need to get alone. And I need it to be quiet. And I need to just turn inward and sort it all out. Listen, sometimes you don't need quiet time. Sometimes you need to have a party. And if you're lonely, or if you have lost some of your joy for the body of Christ and for the gospel and for missions, and for, then, then plan a party. And invite some people and get commitments and know they're going to be there and, and clean your house and, and, and get ready and let's have a good time together. Let your house be filled with laughter. Let your house be filled with fellowship. Because face to face is better. Now, now you've come to the real message. Oh, that's Second John, by the way. There's that introduction. Now that's what John said to the church. Let's do that, Okay. Now John says, I want to communicate a message to you. If I could just cover a couple of verses, I'll be happy this morning. But for those who are journaling, let me prepare you for next week, if not, okay? If you're journaling, let's divide 1 John into some practical sections that will help you when you study. Next to 1 John 1.1, I want you to write introduction. Just write the word introduction in your journal. And then I want you to make a note that the introduction goes through chapter 1, verse 14. Sorry, verse 4. The first four verses are introduction. John 1, 1, 1 John 1, 1 through 1, 4 is the introduction. All right? Down at verse 5, I want you to write, God is light. Somewhere in your margin, write, God is light next to verse 5. Okay? I see some writing. I don't want to go too fast. God is light next to verse 5. All right, if you look at verse 5, you'll see these words. This is the message. Do you see that? Underline that and then draw an arrow over to what you just wrote in the margin. This is the message. God is light. This will help you keep the book very clear when you read it. All right, everybody got that far? All right, flip over to chapter 3. That section goes through 310. So at 311, I want you to write in the margin, God is love. At 311, God is love. Love. And if you want to make a note, it's going to go to 517. This whole section, 311 to 517, God is love. In 311, I want you to underline these words. 
the message which you have heard. It's another way of saying this is the message. Underline those words and draw an arrow to what you wrote in the margin. God is love. Do you see there's two big messages in John? God is light and God is love. Next to 1 John 5, 18, right? Conclusion. And it goes to the end of the book. Now with that, you pretty much understand what we're about to cover in 1 John. The introduction, first four verses. God is light. God is love. Let's wrap this thing up. For sake of time, I'm checking the clock. I'm checking my notes. We're going to pause right there. Here's your big experiment this week. This week, I want you to be thinking about my joy. What do I, what's my joy meter look like? How am I doing? My happy Christian? My lonely Christian? My sad Christian? Am I living in grace and hope and peace? Because John said, if I'm walking the truth, it will be with me. And if you don't have the joy that you think you should have, then my cure for you this morning is fellowship. Fellowship in the body of Christ. Plan a party. Do you notice that Jesus was always at the parties? Always. Always at the parties. He's at the marriage party. He turned the funeral into a party. When Levi Matthew got saved, the first thing Matthew did was throw a party for all of his unsaved friends. Guess who invited? Jesus. Did Jesus say, oh my goodness, there's going to be alcohol there. I can't attend. Yes or no? Did Jesus say, oh my goodness, there's going to be many unwashed and unclean people there. Some cheaters are going to be there and some, fraud, some bad people will be there. I probably shouldn't be there. No, Jesus said, fantastic parties. I love parties. And he said to his disciples, rest, come, come. Matthew's throwing a party. He just got saved and he wants us to meet all of his unsaved friends. I want you to know that's what it's all about. Relationships with people. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I want you to do an honest assessment right now with your eyes closed. I want you to say, God, how's my joy? What does my fellowship look like in the body of Christ? Do I know the other people sitting in the room this morning? Have they had me into their home? Have I had them into my home? And maybe you're thinking this morning, you know what? Nobody's really had me into their home. Maybe you need to initiate this then. Because if we all sit back waiting for an invitation to a party, then nobody's going to throw a party. Somewhere we've got to be the initiator and say, you know what? I'm going to have three or four people over and just have some fellowship. You may be thinking, Pastor, I came for something more spiritual than this. You have no idea how spiritual this is. Let me challenge you with another thing while you're looking at your own heart this morning. When John said to the church, I rejoice that some of you are walking in the truth. Would you be the sum that John's speaking of? Or would you be those that are just kind of on the margin? I, I show up, I tend, but I'm not really connected to the body in a meaningful way more than, more than worship's a big deal, but outside of worship I'm really not connected to the mission of making disciples 
really not sharing the gospel, this is where your joy comes. This is where it comes. If you're here this morning and you don't have a life connected to Christ, I want you to know that when you connect your life to Christ and you experience his forgiveness and you experience the fellowship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, a weight is going to be lifted off your shoulders. Your conscience is going to be washed clean. Your sins are going to be forgiven. And you're going to start a new relationship with God through Christ. And your life will be flooded with joy and peace and God's favor and mercy. That's what John was talking about. And you'll be connected to believers worldwide because of your faith in Jesus Christ. If you've never received Christ as your Savior... As soon as we dismiss this service, there will be someone at the back of the room to pray with you. All you have to do is walk up and say, would you pray with me? They'll just, you, you begin to talk to them, they'll know exactly how to help you. If you need to be a member of this church, and you say, I'm ready, I'm ready to make a real commitment now. Been attending, been being fed, been, been, been fellowshipping on the perimeter, but I'm ready. Ready to make this my church home and make a commitment to this group of people ready to open my life up and let them commit to me. I want you to slip out of your seat and come right here and join me on the front row real quick. We're going to dismiss in just a moment. So you, you just come and move right now. And I just want to tell the church, this is you and you're going to be a part of the family so they'll know who you are. I'm going to pray for you right now. We're going to stand together. I'm going to close in a song and go practice what we've heard this morning. Father, we bow before you right now. And Lord, I just pray in these moments you would knit our hearts together in love. Knit our hearts together because the truth about you matters. It's changed our life. Lord, you've transformed us. Lord, you've forgiven us. And Lord, we rejoice together when we see each other's faces and we can fellowship in the truth. Lord, we can be real. We can be who we are in front of our brothers and sisters because they've experienced the same thing. God, thank you for this fellowship that you've given us. God, help us to be zealous for the truth. Lord, help us to be defenders of the truth. Lord, this morning we pray that you would bind us together. Lord, that we would care for one another and we would follow the commandment that was from the beginning. That we love one another. Lord, help me to practice that. Lord, I'm praying that everyone in the room is saying the same thing. God, help me to practice that. Help me to live that out in my life. Lord, this is our prayer together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.